0: It is a privilege to be here. It's my first opportunity to, to be here, and I have heard about uh, the good crowds that you have had, and um, the fact that this has been going 17 years with still this much enthusiasm is a great thing, and thank you for those of you who, who asked me to be a part of it. And let's open our Bibles to Ephesians 6. Craig was talking about Ephesians 5, and all our speakers have done so well with, with their subjects. that was a very thoughtful presentation of the husband-wife relationship. And we hope we can help you in what we say here about the, the children-parent relationship. Ephesians 6, 1 through4, and reading from the New American Standard Bible. 1995 update, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment, with a promise, so that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now, Colossians 3 deals with the same subject, and some will be invoking that a little bit. It is is more abbreviated in Colossians 3, but in Colossians 3, verses 20 and 21, children, be obedient to your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Fathers, do not exasperate your children So that they will not lose heart. Just keep that in mind, but let's look back at Ephesians 6, and we're gonna look at the text. Children, obey, he says. Now, there are people here in all walks of life, and there are some of you who need to be paying the most attention at this particular moment. Children, obey your parents. Apparently, it applies to mother and father. And the justification given in the text is this is right. As you noticed in Colossians 3, it said, Be obedient to your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. It's well-pleasing to the Lord in Colossians 3.20. It is right in Ephesians chapter. 6 and verse 1. Now, for children to be disobedient to parents is a sign of the corruption of the Gentile world in Romans 1 and verse 30. It is a sign of the wickedness of uh, the days of Paul and Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 2. So Romans 1:30, 2 Timothy 3:2, disobedience to parents was a sign of evil and corruption in society and we see that in the book of Leviticus in the book of Leviticus the theme statement seems to be the statement I you will be holy for I am holy one of the times God makes that statement is in Leviticus 19 verse 2 and listen to what he said right after that Leviticus 19 verse 3 Every one of you shall reverence his mother and his father. And you shall keep my Sabbaths. I am the Lord your God. But right after he says you shall be holy for I the Lord your God am holy. He says reverence your mother and father. So being holy as God is holy involves reverencing your parents. Look in Leviticus 20. In Leviticus 20, verse 7, the statement is made again. You shall consecrate yourselves therefore and be holy, for I the Lord your God am holy. You shall keep my statutes and practice them. I am the Lord who sanctifies you if there is anyone who curses his father or his mother, he shall surely be put to death. He has cursed his father or his mother. His blood guiltiness is upon him. But in both of those passages, after the Bible says, Be holy, for I am holy, one of the first things that he says is you must reverence your mother and father and you cannot curse your mother or father. And the seriousness of mistreating parents is emphasized in Deuteronomy 21, verses 18 through 21, at the penalty if a son was stubborn and rebellious and did not obey his mother and father. They took him to the elders of the city, and ultimately, he was stoned for that. Children, obey your parents. I counted, and I just kind of casually looked back through what I could remember. But in Proverbs 1 through 9, I counted the exhortation, my son, 15 times. Again, I didn't even pull out a concordance for that. But I counted 15 times that he addresses these problems to my son or a discussion to my son. Four other times in Proverbs 1 through 9, he addresses, oh, sons. So this kind of format of parents teaching your children is an important part of all of Scripture. And the Bible says... The Bible uses this to plead with children to to not listen, to not follow an evil crowd, to not follow the immoral woman. Children, obey your parents. Now, what if you are one of those bright young people? And and I I was among them uh, who, who knows more than your parents did. Uh, Well, we kind of have an example of one of those in Luke 2.51. He went down with them and came to Nazareth, and he continued to be in subjection to them. Jesus was in subjection to his parents. Going back to our text. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise. Young people, obey your mother and father. Listen to what they tell you. Pay attention to their instruction. But I will tell you as your life goes on, Lord willing, you are spared and live more years and they live more years. Your relationship with them will change. Your relationship with them will change. When you are 30 and 35 and you're married and you have children of your own and you talk to your mom, she's probably not going to ask, did you make up your bed today? Probably not going to do that. You're not going to obey them in the same way that you did when you were under their roof, but you will still honor them and respect them. And this, of course, the language comes from the fifth commandment, honor your father and mother, which is the only one of the 10 commandments that is stated in holy positive terms, holy positive terms. Eight of the commandments are you shall not do something. And the fourth commandment says you shall not do any work when you remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. But this stated holy in positive terms. Honor your father and your mother. Now, what does that mean and what does that look like? Well, one of the things, let's go to Matthew chapter 15. Matthew 15, and this this dispute also appears in Mark 7 as Jesus is talking with the Pharisees. and, And the Pharisees and scribes are surprised that Jesus' disciples do not wash their hands before they eat bread. And Jesus says, Matthew 15, verse 3, He answered and said to them, Why do you yourselves transgress... The commandment of God for the sake of your transgressions. Excuse me. For your traditions. Let me read that again. Why do you yourselves transgress the commandment of God for the sake of your traditions? For God said. Honor your father and mother. And he who speaks evil of father and mother shall be put to death. But you say. Whoever says to his father or mother, whatever I have that would help you has been given to God. He is not to honor his father and his mother. And by this you invalidate the word of God for the sake of your tradition. Now there are a few reasons why I wanted to read Matthew's account instead of Mark's account. But I want to tell you one of the reasons I wanted to read it. It's because of the way Matthew 15, 4 introduces this quote. For God said. Now the account in Mark says for Moses said. And obviously Jesus views the words of Moses at the words of God. But, but I want to emphasize that point. When we are looking at scripture and we are looking at these words we are not looking at the words of men. We are looking at the words of God and this is Jesus who is speaking of an Old Testament commandment in that way. God said. God said. And he is contrasting in verse 4 what God said with verse 5 what you say. When what we say contradicts what God says we are on dangerous ground. God said honor your father and mother. But these people found that if they stated that their possessions were given to God, they were free of their responsibilities to their mother and father. Now one of the things this shows us is the responsibility to honor our mother and father also involves the responsibility to care for them as they grow older to financially provide for them. They provided for us when we could not provide for ourselves. We have a responsibility to provide for them. 1 Timothy 5 deals with this subject. In 1 Timothy chapter 5, in verse 3 and 4, this same word for honor will be used. Honor widows who are widows indeed. But if any widow has children or grandchildren, they must first learn to practice piety in regard to their own family, to make some return to their parents, for that is acceptable in the sight of God. Verse 8, But if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially those of his own household, he has denied the faith that is worse than an unbeliever. Often I have heard that verse read, in talking about a parent providing for their children. It applies that way. But the main context of this is the children providing for the parents. If anyone does not provide for his own, especially those of his own house, he is denied the faith. Now, I'm not stating that the only way we honor them is to care for them financially and care for them as they grow older. That's, that's not the only way. But if there were people in Jesus' day. That tried to avoid that responsibility. And even claim that they were avoiding it on religious grounds. Maybe we will do the same thing today. But we need to treat our parents with respect. And for those of you who may be in the position that I was in. So many years ago, where you're really kind of brighter than your parents. You may be surprised in the next few years how much your parents learn. (laughs) You may be surprised. And some of the very phrases that they stated to you that you didn't like, you will use on your children. We've lived through that. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment, with a promise, so that it may be well with you and that you may live long upon the earth. Does this promise that everyone that listens to mother and father will automatically have a a long life? Well, what is the purpose of this passage? I tell you, the book of Job is really interesting from this perspective. Job's friends quote scripture a lot of times. For example, Bildad said in Job 18:5, the lamp of the wicked goes out. Is that true? Yeah, it's true. Because it's stated in Proverbs about three or four times. Proverbs 13, 9. Proverbs 20, 20. Proverbs 24, 20. The lamp of the wicked goes out. Well, how come when Bildad is using it, it's wrong? How come when he's quoting scripture, it's wrong? I think the reason is because these passages were not given to us to tell us to help us distinguish who is righteous and who is wicked. Those passages were given to us to tell us the path of righteousness and blessing. Let me illustrate. in Psalm 37:25, can everyone hear okay? Psalm 37, 25, when the Bible says, I have been young, but now I'm old. I've never seen the righteous forsaken, nor his descendants begging bread. Psalm 37, 25, that passage. Now that's the kind of passage that Job's friends would have loved, wasn't it? But the point of that passage is not to distinguish between the righteous and the wicked, but it is to stress that righteousness is the path of blessing. Righteousness is the path of blessing. And it's often, we have to be told that, because often it doesn't seem in that context that righteousness is the path of blessing. It's the same way here. There may be people who listen to mother and father and whose lives are cut short as an exception to the rule. But generally, if you listen to your mother or father, it's going to keep you out of a whole lot of trouble. It's going to keep you out of trouble. I just I don't know many parents, even many the parents that I wouldn't consider good at all, that want their children in a strip club at 3 a.m. in the morning. They will warn you that's going to be trouble and it's going to keep you away from these kind of things. Now, I want to tell you something that is helpful to me. And I hope it can be helpful to you. We talked about how a relationship with our parents changes. That children obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right, is going to look different at 35 when you have a family of your own than it is when you're 15 and you're living in your parents' house. But we always honor our mother and father. But, but I would say, too, there are a lot of passages in Proverbs that deal with the parent child relationship that do not have. Any expiration date. Now let me illustrate. Proverbs 10 verse 1. Proverbs 10 verse 1. The Proverbs of Solomon, a wise son makes a father glad. But a foolish son is a grief to his mother. Let's look at a couple of others like that. Proverbs 15 20. 1520, a wise son makes a father glad, but a foolish man despises his mother. Look at a couple in 17, 17, 1721, 1721, he who begets a fool does so to his sorrow and the father of a fool has no joy. In verse 25 of Proverbs 17, a foolish son is a grief to his father and bitterness to her who bore him. Now all of these passages emphasize that parents rejoice at a faithful child and they are broken hearted at a disobedient child. How parents are doing in life is to a large degree dependent upon the wisdom or foolishness of their children. Let me tell you about an event that is very vivid in my mind. It was an older couple that was in the congregation, a congregation that we preached for. They were a good couple, a godly couple that helped me at at points in their life. They had had two children. The oldest of these two children had been involved in scandalous sin for many years, um, but but did come back to the Lord. The youngest seemed like he was doing well. He was... Uh, He had a wife and two children, and he was a deacon in the congregation that he was a part of. What seemed like all of the sudden to some of us, and I knew him pretty well, I thought, not not as well as I thought I did, they did not worship with us. He leaves his wife and leaves his two children. And so we're trying to say something to this older couple who had encouraged us, who had been helpful to us, who had lived long, who would lived much longer than we had and seen more than we had. But we're trying to say something to help them. And the father looked at us and said if we had known what we know now we would have never had children. Whether you're 15 or whether you're in your 50s like me, if you do something foolish, you can break your parents' heart. And one of the reasons why we need to be faithful as husbands and faithful as fathers and listen to what God's instruction says in these matters. Is because all the other people whose heart we will break if we don't. May God help us to remember that. So verses 1 through 3, addressed primarily to the children. Let's read the verses again. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Fathers. He addresses fathers. We'll come back to that in just a moment. You, you notice in Colossians 3 that the instruction to fathers is completely negative, And I mean that simply in the in terms of they are told what not to do. In, in, in Colossians 3.21, fathers do not exasperate your children so that they will not lose heart. Do not exasperate your children. Here it is stated both negatively and positively. Do not provoke your children to anger, but positively bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. But but let's look at this. First of all, the first word, fathers. Now that word is translated parents in Hebrews 11 verse 21. About Moses' parents hiding him. In this particular case, it should be translated of fathers in particular. It is a different word than the word parents in verse 1, where children were told to obey their parents in the Lord. Here it seems specifically addressed to fathers. Now, I, I, I want to be careful in what I'm about to say, because I don't want this misunderstood. But I do think there is a very real sense in which the father is the most valuable member of the family. I am saying that not in a sense to engender pride, I am saying that in a sense for us to awake to our responsibilities. Let me give you this stat, which I found absolutely amazing. And I I will acknowledge, I will acknowledge that I have not found this particular survey. And I um, put a note one time on Facebook, and some found things close to this, but not exactly. One morning, uh, as I was driving to school in Tampa... I was listening to Focus on the Family, and they were talking about the importance of the role of fathers, and this was the the statistics as I remember them. Now, as I stated, I could not find this, uh, I could not track this down, and they did not state their source. I listened to it again. It did not state its source, but... Let's say a family does not follow Jesus Christ. A family does not follow Jesus Christ. What are the odds if a particular family member is converted first that the whole family will be converted? If it is a child that is converted first, the odds are, as I remember Something like 7 to 10 percent, the whole family will be converted. If the mother is converted first, the odds increase to like 20 to 25 percent that the whole family will be converted. If it is the father who is converted first, it was like 70 to 90% that the whole family will be converted. Now again, I'm not saying this to engender pride. Does this show the responsibility of fathers? That's pretty profound, isn't it? That's pretty profound. It is also striking to me that when people describe the breakdown of the family that leads to particular problems, that, that and, I'm not, and I'm not excusing the people who involve themselves in this sin or, or stating that the they can claim the fathers have eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge. But most young men who become homosexuals describe a poor relationship with their father. Now, what would you expect it to be with girls who are lesbians? You would say that's probably having a bad relationship with their mother. But no, it's generally a bad relationship with their father. Do you see how significant, how important fathers are how they we set the tone in the family fathers do not provoke your children to anger This term for anger is used in Ephesians 4.26. It uses a noun there when it says, Let not the sun go down on your anger. Here, do not provoke your children to anger. It's a verb. Now, this phrase is used often in a Septuagint, and I'd be glad to send out the notes later. But this phrase is used in the Septuagint often of Israel provoking God to anger with idols. Deuteronomy 4.25, Judges 2, verse 12, etc., etc. But this passage tells us as fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. As we stated, Colossians 3.21 states that warning against fathers in purely negative terms. But here, do not Provoke your children to anger. There is a temptation for fathers to exercise their authority in an overpowering way, in a way that crushes the child. Do not provoke your children to anger. Craig was saying things a moment ago about letting our wives know they're special. Do we let our children know that? Oh, I, I know. I know that they don't grasp what we're saying completely. And I know I did not appreciate how deeply my parents love me till I had children of my own. When I had children of my own, it helped me to understand the depth of their love for me. But do we say that? Do not provoke them to anger, but bring them up. Now that word bring up is only used as a verb one other time in the New Testament, and it's been in what we've studied today. Ephesians 4, 29. For no one hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it. Nourish. It's the same word bring up. We nourish them. By the way, this is a word used in the Septuagint of the... The the man in 2 Samuel 12 in Nathan's parable that has the one lamb and nourishes it in 2 Samuel 12 verse 3. And it's the same word used for us and our children. We're not to provoke them to anger. We're to bring them up. We're to nourish them in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord, to this particular word for discipline, it's only used six times in the New Testament. This is one. Four of them are in Hebrews chapter twelve, verses five through seven, and the other appears in 2 Timothy three sixteen. In 2 Timothy three sixteen, all scriptures inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training. In righteousness, the word training is the word here. The discipline and the instruction of the Lord. Now, this particular word uh, is used in verb form in the New Testament several times. And again, you can see the notes and look it up. Do you know which ver- which book of the Old Testament uses this word? Most frequently the the Septuagint Greek version of the Old Testament uses the same word used here translated discipline. It's Proverbs. Shouldn't surprise us. For Proverbs is a parent is teaching his children bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. The discipline and instruction. Now the word instruction here is used in the Septuagint of 1 Samuel chapter 3, verse 13. You remember Eli, and Eli did not restrain his children. He didn't do this. He didn't admonish them. So, what does this say? It doesn't seem to me, and you can feel free to point out later if you think I've missed something here, it doesn't seem to me to specifically talk about spanking or not spanking. But the Bible is not silent on that subject. Proverbs 13 Verse 24, he who spares his rod hates his son, but he who loves him disciplines him diligently. Proverbs 13, 14. Proverbs 8, 19, 18. Discipline your son while there is hope and do not desire his death. In Proverbs 22 and verse 15 Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. The rod of discipline will remove it far from him. Proverbs 23, verses 13 and 14. Do not hold back discipline from your son. Although you beat him with the rod, he will not die. You shall beat him with the rod and deliver his soul from Sheol. I recognize that much of the world would not understand nor appreciate that verse and we would have to do a whole load of explaining as to what it doesn't mean. I trust that you know this is not encouraging child abuse. And, and I will tell you, and this is not because of people I have seen here, but I will say to some of you young parents that, that I have seen many young families that I do think are struggling with that. Discipline your children. Spank your children. How about provoking them to anger? Well, we found that at that moment when children are broken and crying, that they are the most receptive to your love, to you hugging them, telling you care about them and telling them, listen, this is what we want you to learn from this particular incident. You don't want to get a spanking and we're with you because we don't want to give one. But this is what you did that got you in trouble and learn from this. This will not destroy you if you learn from this experience. And it is amazing. How receptive. We found. Children to be in those circumstances. Now what is the alternative? Now, this goes back to an interview I heard many many years ago. But a person was talking about the importance of discipline for their children. I cannot put a name on this, and I apologize. But he said, a mother came in, and she was pouring out her heart to me about her rebellious daughter. She was pouring out her heart to me. And he said, I ask her a question that I often ask, but I rarely get so specific an answer. I asked her, do you know when this started? And the mother said, I can tell you the exact moment I lost this battle. I told her to do something. And she was three years old. And she looks me in the eye, and it is a showdown between me and her. And she says, no. No. I am not doing it. And she said, I did nothing. And she said, I have never controlled her since that day. But bringing them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord is going to involve more than just spanking. It is going to involve teaching. It is going to involve training. It is going to involve talking about God's Word. Last night, um, Genesis 18 was used by either Marshall or Justin maybe both. Um, But Genesis 18, and I love that statement made about Abraham in Genesis 18, verse 19. I have chosen him in order that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice in order that the Lord may bring upon Abraham what he has spoken about him. And this is a a comment I read on that text years ago. Abraham is called to bless the world, but he begins the process of blessing the world by blessing his own house. I have called him, I've chosen him to commend his children and his household after him. We begin blessing the world by blessing our own house. And it has been alluded to a few times. I think Craig alluded to it. Uh, and it may have been alluded to last night as well. Deuteronomy chapter 6 verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God. The Lord is... here, O Israel, the Lord is our God. The Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words which I'm commanding you today shall be on your heart and you shall teach them diligently to your sons and you shall talk about them when you sit in your house and when you walk on the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. And you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontals on your forehead and you shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. Let the word of God guide your family. When you rise up, when you lie down, when you walk by the way, put it constantly before you. You know one thing I've observed over the years? I have seen children who abandon the faith of their parents and their parents were trying to do things to win them back and and to gain them back. And and sometimes we would go visit them in in, in meetings or or various other settings to try to to win their child back, to talk to them about the Lord. But while they abandon their parents' faith, they maintain their parents' favorite sports team. And I had seen that so many times, it started to catch my attention. Now, I can't say this is true in every case. Some of these cases, I'm pretty sure it wasn't the case. But are we talking about those things and sharing those things more than we're sharing these things? Talk about them when you walk, when you sit down, when you lie down, when you rise up. Look at Proverbs 3, if you would. Proverbs, or excuse me, Proverbs 6. Proverbs 6. In Proverbs 6, verse 20, My son, observe the commandment of your father, and do not forsake the teaching of your mother. Bind them continually on your heart. Tie them around your neck. When you walk about they will guide you. When you sleep, they will watch over you. When you awake, they will talk to you. For the commandment is a lamp, and the teaching is light, and the reproofs for discipline are the way of life. Now, this is what I particularly wanted to notice. Do you see my son observe the commandment? The word commandment is used in verse 20, and it's used in verse uh, in verse 23. The word for commandment is the word mitzvah. Which is the word used to describe God's commandment in Scripture. But here it's said to be the commandment of your father. In verse 20, also it says, do not forsake the teaching of your mother. The word teaching that's used in verse 20 and in verse 23 is the word, the Hebrew word Torah, that's used for God's law, God's instruction. I think part of this is the parent is emphasized. This, this puts on us as fathers and mothers, and particularly fathers, the responsibility that our commandments are his commandments. And our instruction and teaching is his law and his instruction. His teach, his law forms the basis of our, of our teaching. It is interesting to me, too, how many times. God did things so that parents could teach their children. Think about the, the Passover, Exodus 12, verses 26 and 27. Uh, think about putting the stones at Gilgal in Joshua chapter 4, 19 through 24. The locust plague in Joel 1, 2, and 3. Um, now, this... So we we, we want to, to raise our children to know God. I will tell you, and and some of you know this well, but as you get older in life, there's nothing that means more to you than whether or not your children are walking with God. And I say that to encourage those of you who are younger to think about this now. Let me let me say a couple of things practically. Younger people who aren't married—how many? How many are not married in this crew? I want to tell you. Think about, and and you can't, you cannot know this with certainty, but think about what kind of parent the person you're going to marry will be. Now, I don't know exactly how you find that out. Maybe you say that she needs to volunteer to babysit and you go watch her. I don't know. I don't know how you find that out. But I do know that in looking for somebody to marry, there's nothing more significant than the fact that she's going to be the mother of your children and she's going to have a big part in raising those children. So for those of you who are unmarried, look to those things. Look at those spiritual qualities and and, and pray for God's instruction. The Bible, pray for God's wisdom. The Bible says house and wealth are an inheritance from fathers, but a godly wife is from the Lord, Proverbs 19, verse 14. Now I can show passages that show that house and wealth are from the Lord too. I think it's really to emphasize, though, how much a godly wife is a gift from God Pray for God's wisdom and God's instruction. And uh, you may not have a well to draw from to say, you know, give me a drink. And she'll say, I'll give your camels a drink. You may not have all those advantages, but you can still pray for wisdom and guidance. Now, for those of you who have young children, I- I- I'll suggest this of something that, that something we did that, that I think that worked well. Children are going to have difficulty grasping an epistle. They're going to have difficulty grasping the poetry of the Old Testament. They don't have any problem listening to a story. Genesis through Esther, there might be a few passages in the law that might be difficult they can follow that at a very early age. The Gospels in the book of Acts, they can follow at a very early age. We tried to keep going over those stories, going over those stories, going over those stories, going over those stories. And they had gone over them continually. And then when they were about 11 or 12, we started to try to put in the epistle's and the various prophets and the various other things, and where they fit, but they first need that historical framework, and they can understand that through uh, through stories. And we would simply, I would try to. We would often read the story. I would tell the story uh, using um, using the Abeka pictures, if you're familiar with that. And my wife would use them with the the felt. I I have a great wife that, that, you know, like one year for for her birthday, all she wanted was Betty Lukens felt. I mean, what, what what kind of wife asked her that? That's great. That's great. And so you get her that felt, and she cuts out that felt and uses that to teach the children. But that is the most important Bible study or series of Bible studies. You will ever have. Take advantage of it continually. And God bless you. That your children. And their children. May know the Lord. Thank you.